Gentlemen, welcome to Not Your Weekly Sports Pod. Oh gosh, this is great. <laughs> welcome back to a Not Not Your Weekly Sports Pod. Follow the ball of your boy, Nabil. Real deal. What's good, fam? Hit him with the appeal. What's good, brother? We're talking about 90 cinema today, man. What else can we ask for? One of, I mean, just recently you've been ecstatic about the rise and return of the ghost writer. Ooh. The man who stole the Declaration of Independence, not once but twice. Nicolas Cage, bro. And, you know, the the kind of renaissance that we've had recently with movies that he's had and, you know, small, even small little indie picks that he's been in. Going back to the 90s where he reigned supreme, just a year removed from winning the Oscar for Best Actor and leaving Las Vegas, you have The Rock. Just what is what are the feelings that come and bubble into your stomach when I say The Rock? Bro. Other than Dwayne The Rock Johnson, which comes <laughs> on the Google searches. You you think of a, a good old Michael Bay film from the 90s. This was, uh, you know, Michael Bay, the same dude with just the fireworks, everything back in 2008, giving the freaking, you know, the old, the young millennial or the old millennials now and the fucking young baby boomers, just like a titty fest of fireworks galore with uh, American nostalgia thrown in the bit of it. And Michael Bay doing and Michael Bay, Jerry Bruckheimer and Don Simpson coming in. As you said, the terrific trio of what you need any fucking 90 sports film or sports movie to, or not even sports, but just any movie to be about. Um, this thing was a killer in the box office. Everybody and their mothers wanted to go see this shit. And I mean, bro, what could you ask for from a Nicolas Cage, Sean Connery, Ed Harris movie in the 90s? Like, could you think of a more 90s fucking cast right there to lead your movie to box office dominance for the next two months in the 90s? I mean, just uh, thinking about the minds that you mentioned, the big three, Bruckheimer, Bay, Don Simpson. I mean, these guys have worked together on bombs, like big-time home runs throughout the 90s. Bad Boys, Armageddon, you know, Transformers, obviously. Top as, Gun? As bad as it was, like, it was a box office hit, dude. Yeah. Top Gun, yeah. Don Simpson did, yeah. Top Gun, Beverly Hills Cop. And then, of course, Bruckheimer became famous with Pirates of the Caribbean, breaking all kinds of records with that. But as far as the cast goes, man, like, you know, $75 million budget, a lot of it going to the cast, bringing in Sir Sean Connery. Uh, and it made three thirty-five at the box office. You know, it wasn't, like, superbly successful with the critics. I think 69% Rotten Tomatoes rating, 85% audience rating. It was... Nominated for Best Sound at the Oscars in 96. If you can tell me what movie won the Oscar for Best uh, Sound in 96, I will forever respect your movie knowledge till the end of time and accept any movie recommendation you give me. 96? Including Nicolas Cage's Pig. Oh my goodness. Nick 96. Best Picture? Or? Best Sound. Best Sound in 96. Is it all, oh, Lion King? The English Patient. Oh, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you would have gotten that, I, I would have done. done more more qualifiers in there if, if I was feeling up to it. Done. Um, but yeah, bro, like incredibly well-made movie, incredibly 90s. But the thing about it, like the stunt work, the real-life scenarios it included, the you know Alcatraz which is where the majority of the movie is shot and occurs, they actually shot at Alcatraz. And you see people in the background of some of the shots because it's a like a national park, basically, and you know the government doesn't close them ever. So beautiful, beautiful, beautiful work. And San Fran, bro, San, what a beautiful time to shoot a movie in San Francisco in the 90s. Bro. Just an incredible set. You know, the car chase scene that happens, going across the city with, uh, Sean Connery first escaping beautiful setting and the beautiful minds to kind of bring these fireworks to life in that setting in a 90s action movie go off dude what do you think yeah I mean San Francisco is something that it's just a gorgeous time every year any year you go low 60s you know wind coming in from the from you know from the Pacific breeze um, just a completely great environment to be in and on top of that like just a backdrop, bro. Like to have like the aerial footage. Like one thing I think that trio of Bruckheimer and Simpson, um, you know, even Hans Zimmer, if you throw it into it, if you throw it into them from a sound standpoint as well. But 
even even Bay, like you throw all these guys in, and one thing that they always will give you is great cinematography and aerial shots, and you really get to appreciate that from the era that it was in the '90s to see how great the technical sophistication really looked at it from that standpoint. Which yeah, I was you really could just throw a fucking green screen at everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you could do. Yeah, you could throw Marvel <laughs> at it, right? That's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's lazy fucking. You feel it like today, bro. We just had a Top Gun Maverick episode. You feel it in those movies. You feel the actual authenticity of working to create a set and shoot in front of a real piece. Uh, and this movie had it. I mean, it. You mentioned the cast, bro. This is a movie on paper, like an asinine fucking premise. 100%. You take over a, a prison and turn people prisoners in it and you know threaten basically nuclear-level nuclear assault on a city, major populated area. <laughs> Your major, your main actor is a dude who, by today's standards, at that point in his career, we would expect to play in, like, Coen Brothers movies or Paul Thomas Anderson films yeah. in Nicolas Cage. Uh, and your sex icon in that movie was a 60-year-old man. <laughs> <laughs> like, why, wow. why is that supposed to work? And then you throw the fact that Michael Bay, who essentially, I think that is the human representation of, hey... If a 12-year-old kid had all these ideas and could throw money and make a movie, this is what it would be. That's Michael Bay. That's beautiful. Right? Beautifully said. All those things put together, you would expect this film to <laughs> nosedive into the canyon like the missiles did at the end of the movie. But somehow it works and it turns into the greatest thing ever. So there's got to be reasons why. Yeah. One of them, bro, is I think Nicolas Cage. Mm -hmm. This is kind of Mount Rushmore. Of Nicolas Cage. This yeah. is right. Okay. The relevant way I would say of putting this is this is 2011 Dwayne Wade. Okay, damn. You know, you've yeah. like already hit your peak, but you're still in your prime and you still have like another year of good knee left in you. Does that mean Sean Connery's LeBron James? Do you just call Sean Connery LeBron James? Sean Connery's James? his daddy. Wow. He's his he's daddy in this he movie. Yeah. Beautiful. He tells him to fuck the prom queen. Goddamn right, he's his daddy. Beautiful. Yeah. So Nick Cage, bro, just like. You've seen him unleashed, right? Like Mr. Blue, when you walk in and we let him off the leash, and he just fucking darts towards your leg he and loves straddles it. your leg in a loving way he that loves it. few living beings have experienced. It's it's pure love, and you know what else could a man ask for is the love of. We've seen dog. those versions of Nicolas Cage in like so? Face Off, where he turns into the priest and he's swinging his head and dancing. You crazy Nick Cage over all this stuff, bro? Yeah, we've seen it. We've seen it, and it it's happened before. The whole Mandy. Um, but this is like a toned down version of him and he's playing for the first time in his career right before he rattles off con air and face off in the next two years, this action role, bro. Like to me, I don't know. Did you ever watch gone in 60 seconds with uh, Angelina Jolie, yeah. bro? Like he kept going on a run of these movies and they all became cult classics for kids that grew up in the two thousands and, you know, you know, like me and you really, who, who, you know, are, are about to be just about like 30 or something around that nature where, where we grew up with this. We were like 12, 13 when this movie really came out. And this is kind of like our first hindrance of a good, you know, action movie. And since then, bro, we've all been excited for all these Michael Bay movies. Uh, even though we know that the plot's going to be to your point, completely asinine, completely out of the blue, uh, and completely like a 12 year old saw it. But we're going to go see it just for the sake of nostalgia. And I think that just wins us out so much. And I think it just shows, too, um, how uh, how good these guys are at reading mainstream cinema. Like, we're hooked, Fallout. Like, any, any of their shit that they got, they got our money now for the rest of our lives. Off the top of your head, do you, do you know any other mainstream actor who's rattled off three action movies in a row like this in... Basically, The Rock, Con Air, and Face Off. Three all-timers, in my opinion. Yeah. Is there another actor who's done that in three consecutive years like that? The only one that would come to mind would be Harrison Ford. What, uh, with like The Fugitive, Air Force the Fugitive One? Fugitive One, Air Force One, and then the last Indiana Jones. Or okay. the, yeah, the one with Sean Connery in it, too. Okay. That would be that one. The only other one I could think about would probably be action here. I mean, you could throw a rock in it. Like if we look at just box office wise, yeah, I need to pick any three of these rock movies and I'll and put Black Adam in there. And then just throw like as a little appetizer his HBO work as That's well. That's it, yeah. Right, ballers. Yeah. Make a hundred mil off ballers. That's it. So Nicolas Cage, I think like this is it. This is Mount Rushmore and 
him in this performance, like the the way he enunciates shit, right? How in the name of Zeus's butthole, <laughs> just yelling things randomly, and it was his decision, you know, to write into the script that Doctor Goodspeed couldn't curse. So he would use words like butthole and a-hole, like freeze, mister, FBI. He sounds like a chemist. I love it. Just a great take on that character. I don't know. We'll get to casting couch later, but I don't know any other people who could make it work. Mm-hmm. And the whole movie is basically the chemistry between him and Sir Sean Connery. Beautiful. Sean Connery, basically, one, one thing we got to talk about here, bro, is I don't remember if what you said when I asked you this off pot. I think you said absolutely 100%. But is Sean Connery low-key playing James Bond in this movie? Without a doubt. 1,000%. Sell me on it, bro. Yeah, just the fact of knowing that, man, this guy is what, XMI6 from your, you know, from your majesty's, you know, secret service, not your secret service, from like Royal Navy. And, you know, right when he says that, it pretty much uh, throws an homage back to exactly who James Bond really is, right? Somebody who's, you know, old spy for the British uh, for the British Navy, uh, you know, knows a special set of skills that nobody else does, very dangerous, has, you know, secrets on the Americans and every other government that you could think about. It's like, all right, brother, this guy is legit James Bond. And what other, you know, what other name could you really give him? What, what other set of skills could you really give him? And Sean Connery just played this role to a T, man. I don't think we really could have asked anything else to come in and end the legacy of like, you know, the greatest or one of the greatest at that point, James Bond, we've seen just to have a, a decoy Bond movie with Nicolas Cage. It's Americans taking over and just Americifying the, you know, James Bond, just like we, we do for everything else, bro. Nationalize everything else coming in and we nationalize fucking James Bond with this movie. They, uh, they asked Jerry Bruckheimer about it as far as like the bond theory goes because it it lines up too perfectly right like bond got captured and the government claimed they didn't know him had nothing to do with him a point that's been brought up in bond movies before um and he says his majesty several times throughout the movie jerry bruckheimer when asked about it said this was never even brought up in production of course it wasn't what a bullshit answer, bro. Yeah. Come on. Like, are you I, kidding? A room full of dudes who revere Sean Connery and yeah. are trying to get him on set don't make that connection. Come yeah. on now. Yeah. I think Homeboy was just trying not to get sued or something, bro. He's just like, what are you talking about? <laughs> John Mason. John oh, Mason. John Mason. James Bond. This hmm. is his last great movie, man. Uh, I mean, he was in Entrapment with uh, Catherine Zeta. Yeah, that like, bullshit movie, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. League of Ex- yeah, we don't even need to talk Fucking about that. Fucking shit. The, he was in a pretty good one, Finding Forrester in 2003. Ooh, he plays this recluse. That was a good one, poet. yeah. Um, very interesting yeah, movie. Yeah, for sure. Probably his, that was his last great movie in 2000, but 96, man. What a great way to go out as far as your yeah. action legacy goes. Low key playing your last James Bond movie, I for think. For sure. All right, bro. Um, last thing here we got to talk about before we get started in our categories. The nineties, what a time, bro! What a time. As a nineties baby, what what a luxury and what a curse that we saw all these movies as little kids and we didn't enjoy them for the first time as adults. Oh my god! Just the access to cinema, just being able wow. to see it and the comfort the of everything. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm gonna ask you off the cuff mm-hmm. of those three movies we mentioned. You know, The Rock, Con Air, and Face Off. Do you think those three fall into the top 12 action movies of the 90s? Oh, I think so. Absolutely. Do you think it's top 10? Top 10 in the 90s? Ooh, that'd be tough. Oh, there's so many good movies in the 90s that came out, bro. I'm going to name you a list of them. Let's try to count. For sure. And see if they're definitively better than these movies. Total Recall. For sure. Terminator 2. Of course. Demolition Man. Okay. The Fugitive. Okay. Air Force One. Okay. Speed. Yes. Mission Impossible. Of course. Of course. Independence Day. Con Air. Okay, no. Con Air's on there. I'm sorry. Fifth Element. Starship Troopers. That's 10. Blade. Okay. Ronin. Okay. And The Matrix. Okay. How many is that? 12? That's 13. 13. That's 13. You think these three can sneak into the top 10? Because those are the 13 best I could find. I would throw Gone in 60 Seconds in there. Really? For me personally. Oh, absolutely. On top, like ahead of these three? Oh, absolutely. What? Oh, I love Gone in 60 Seconds, bro. Angelina <laughs> Jolie and, uh, and Nicolas Cage for me. Oh, great fucking combo. Ahead of, 
Con Air face off and oh man, had a face off. No fuck, no, not had a face off. Not had a rock. Yeah, I think you're right. Then I mean, the only other movie I could think of in the '90s is off the cuff, man. I really can't think. Of, uh, I, I can't think of another movie from the '90s that I would that throw in there. Um, saving, what was Saving, saving Ryan? Two thousand. Two thousand and one, right? I think. I don't remember some shit like that. But no, those are pretty much all the movies I could think about in the nineties. Any um oh Rambo? Eighties. Oh fuck. First play oh, yeah, after seventies. Yeah. I don't remember. Any good was there any good Rocky movie in the nineties? I'm trying to think. Mm, I can't think of I don't it. think so. Yeah, neither can I. Enemy of the State was a lot later for me. Um, Aliens was eighties. Yeah. Alien three sucked. Oh that one. Did Alien Resurrection suck. suck dick. Yeah. Okay. I think it's time, brother. Talk to me, brother. We're going to go into the most rewatchable scenes category. These are the scenes that, again, there's been several iterations of ways that you talk about this, right? These are the scenes where, you know, you're out there in the hood filling up your car with gas. And the homeless guy in Edo comes up to you. And that scene is playing on your phone. You got to watch to the end of that scene, even if it means your phone gets jacked by a hobo in Edo. (laughs) So it's worth it. There's a few of these in here. I've got five. I'm going to open up with the opening scene. The bubble face boy. The scene where it opens with General Hummel, which we got to talk about him For too, sure. bro. Ed Harris's General Hummel is the domino that makes this movie go. But, you know, he's at the funeral. He does the military salute, honors whoever's the fallen soldier. And right, right off the bat, you get a sense of his character being a man of honor, of integrity. Um, and they go in and they steal the actual missiles, the sarin gas missiles. Bro, the hide-and-seek they play in that facility, like the whole scene of them sneaking in to get those missiles, they're hiding in like the weirdest places and they come out and like kill the soldiers. So beautifully well done. Uh, one of the guys melts. <laughs> and yeah. Just all in all, what a way to set the tone of what's at stake here. And also introduce Ed Harris as an honorable yet fucking ruthless anti-hero slash villain of this movie. Yeah. I mean, what else could you really ask for, bro? I mean, that was a fucking beautiful scene. I think the way that they really decided to shoot it and the angles that they really shot it in, I think gave, you know, much more... uh, it kind of gave us a broader picture of what we could see from um, a far side point of view as, as the audience and be there for the whole, you know, everything occurring at the same time, that whole scene, the whole sequence actually being pursued at the same time as well. So I couldn't agree more with you at all. And, and like you, his whole team, you just see dudes that you notice from different places. Like, yeah. Oh, I remember that, that dude from here. Oh, you were on that TV show. Like yeah. David Morse as Tom Baxter, his right hand man, who's been in several movies throughout the nineties. Um, fucking Tuco, yeah. Tuco homeboy bro. Tuco from That's Breaking wild. Bad, and Better Call Saul is one of the soldiers. The what's his name? The freaking janitor from Scrubs. Mm-hmm. What is it? John C. McKinley is one of the Marines as well. So all in all, like you got a full ninety squad, bro. The full squad, <laughs> even Candyman, yes. right? Candyman, Tony Todd yeah, ends up joining right. the squad later on at Alcatraz. So all-star team bro i agree there's got to be some other people we could throw in there when we get to the casting couch of right hand just bad guys next to ed harris's squad um but we'll get to that later on give me one of your rewatchable scenes bro we're gonna move on here bro one of my rewatchable scenes has to be when um the interrogation scene bro it has to be the fucking interrogation scene when nicholas cage and sean connery first meeting and they're pretty much you know Womack pretty much tells uh, Sean Connery, like, hey, man, do you have training in any of this? And he's like, uh, no, I don't. And he's like, and Womack tells him, no, bro, just go in there, see what you can do, see what you can do from talking to Sean Connery uh, from Mason and see if you can get him to talk to see what can lead to next. And then right when they decide to do that scene, uh, you know, the awkwardness, the way that uh, Nicolas Cage has to come off as being this, you know, new, like, don't know what the fuck he's doing, and this old seasoned man just, you know, being there like, all right, bro, are you going to get me the fuck out of here or what? Um, and just seeing that, bull- like, you know, not, no bullshit approach from uh, Sean Connery. That was one of the greatest introductions I think we see in a couple the, of characters. The first thing he says to him in that scene, he sits down, Nicolas Cage sits down awkwardly, and Sean Connery says, Coffee. Coffee. And Nick, Nick Cage replies, No, I'm good. He says, No, you're uh, supposed to fucking offer me coffee. <laughs> just 
beautifully done. The awkwardness, the chemistry of it. Uh, he says, uh, you're not a field man. He says, um, I actually am. I'm <laughs> trained in Mortal Kombat. <laughs> so beautiful setup for where their, where their relationship goes later on. Uh, another rewatchable scene for me, man. The whole Ed Harris negotiating with the Pentagon. That's all, yeah. Fuck. The first time he's talking to them and like he's saying things where dudes in the room who have low clearance levels are like, wait, that happened? Wait, what is he talking about? And they're like, oh, these are things only the high ups know. Let the big boy, let the adults in the room talk. Right? Anytime you have that scene where you you see who the adults in the room are, you see who really wear the pants in the clearance levels at the Pentagon, that's always fun to watch. And the entire time, Womack, RIP to that actor, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, uh, he looks over at one of the FBI directors, and they're like, all right, you know what we need to do? There's only one guy who can fix this. And then Michael Bay transitions to (laughs) long hair, chains on his hand. Duh, What was he reading? Like Macbeth or some shit? I don't remember. You know, you see like Sun Yu's Art of War sitting on the side. All sorts of poetry. Sean Connery. He's the man to save us. He's the 60-year-old sex symbol that's going to save this movie. (laughs) And really, 25 minutes into the movie, bro, that's when the movie really starts. When we're introduced to him. No, what what else can you say, man? I don't think there's a better introduction to a character, like you said, since they did it with the Sean Connery. There's not that many ways you can make a 60-year-old man look like a badass, but have him come out full grunge in like a jail suit with, uh, you know, trying to kill somebody right after uh, after leaving. And to me, bro, that brings me kind of like right to my next scene was when... Um, when freaking uh, when Mason has Womack over the fuck, you know, the whole interrogation scene when they got he, he distracts him with the room service. All the guards are pretty much in the room and they're, you know, pretty much enjoying all the food to themselves while you have Womack, you know, uh, you have Mason and you have, you know, Stanley all just those three left on the little patio and Mason throws them over and tells him that, you know, give him what he needs. And the hairstylist, show some fucking respect. And the hairstylist who was happy that all he wanted was to be happy with his haircut. Which I think he delivered on, by the way. He yeah, he, no, that was a he great delivered. fucking cut. Dude. I agree. That was a grown man cut. I agree, and it brought you to that stage. And I think that was uh, that was kind of one of like the first action moments when you also realize, yeah, um, Nicholas Cage has never shot a weapon in his fucking life either. So this was a again a great introduction to just seeing what the action is going to be there going forward. And I think the best part of that was if you remember when the cha- chase end, uh, chase ended, we figured out that Nicholas Cage kind of at the end. Um, you know, saw his daughter and was like, hey, you know, you're helping us with the FBI just to get her on her good graces and think that, you yeah. know, Sean Connery's a good man. So you knew from there that, you know, they're going to be a good team and, you know, just who he was as a character as well. It essentially is what saves him. That saves his life. Yeah. Right. Like not being a gun nuthead, but instead being a thinking man, a scientist, you know, following Sean Connery, following uh, John Mason and being the only one that can keep up with him and then taking a tactical approach, kind of sitting back and waiting to see what he does and seeing that, like, this is just a dad who's trying to, like, see redemption in his daughter's eyes. So beautiful scene, bro, that whole thing. And, you know, talking about the stunt work, they actually did that. They actually hung yeah. uh, Womack off the side of the Fairmont Hotel in San Francisco. That's balls, bro. People called the cops saying, like, there's someone, like, trying to kill a dude. At the Fairmont Hotel. And That's like ridiculous. police had to show up to the scene and de-escalate the whole situation. But yeah, it's real shit. It actually Beautiful. happened. That's ridiculous, man. I was going to say, that leads me to the, the whole San Fran chase scene. You know, just again, Michael Bay at his best. <laughs> just a fucking big spectacle and explosions at every corner. Sean Connery running the fucking Hummer down the entire hill of the San Francisco downtown rail line. And Nicolas Cage fucking the shit up out of that Ferrari. Beautiful. What, like, greater words have been said in cinema than when Nick Cage comes out of that broken Ferrari and the guy comes up on the motorcycle and tells him, you just fucked up your Ferrari, dude. It's not mine. It's not mine. <laughs> and neither is this. Dude. Kicks him off the motorcycle, rides off after uh, fucking Sean Connery again. Just these like one-liners aren't supposed to work, bro. Like, yeah, this isn't not. this isn't supposed to be charming. But rewatching this a week ago still holds up so well. 
it's crazy right i think the production like Bruckheimer studios straight up gave this money to baby like here buddy here's 50 mil it will shut down the street for you and give you all the props you want to that go kaboom enjoy <laughs> and michael bay got the tickets to daddy Bruckheimer, bro that's all that's all that happened right there and we got it and it led to and it led to this and we couldn't have asked for a better scene, bro, just to be able to have mayhem and wreck, wreck shit more than anything else. You know, we start having the problems with San Francisco and what entails, like, you know, what caused it. This may be the precipice of why San Francisco is the way that it is today, bro, just how badly Stanley fucked up the cities of San Francisco at that time. Yeah, that, that's devastating to your local economy. Beautiful. For sure. And to public transportation, you get a whole fucking thing torn down. It's horrible. Yeah. But what is what? What else can you say? They did it for the audience, and you know what? We've t- we're still talking about this movie twenty years in. Yeah, apparently, like that whole car chase scene was a very late addition to the movie. The studio was there. There was rumors that the studio really wasn't happy with Michael Bay, and they were about to like flip it over to someone else. And Bay walked into the offices like for a big meeting with the studios with Sean Connery next to him. And Connery apparently just talked everyone down and was telling them, like, let this man make the fucking movie. He's doing okay. He's he basically like, saying, like, hey, daddy's here. <laughs> right? Everyone's going to be, I'm, I'm carrying this movie with my beautiful accent. Oh, and yeah. I'm swinging my dick around for all the all the Fox News female audience that are going to come and rake the money in for this movie. With one, with, with one nut of just, you know, working spermies left. That's all I got. And, that's it. And, and yeah. you know, you pee... 15 times in the middle of the night but you're still emptying that bladder baby <laughs> oh bad that's it medicated chunk Connery. i have one more rewatchable scene do you have any more you want to throw in here oh man the only other one i would think about would be um i think you said it but like them testing out like what came in from the actual uh, gas solution when it came out to be when they're testing it out, it Nick was just a scene. Yeah. And the cave scene with the scientists when we're actually going in and seeing what came in the mail that they thought was laced in poison. And, you know, they essentially the first time around kind of foreshadowed that, Hey, he's going to have to throw, you know, stab himself with a fucking huge ass knife in his fu- in his heart for no reason. Just be able to save himself. And are you fucking crazy? Uh, you yeah. want me to stab myself in the <laughs> heart with this? this? Well, his face is melting. So that was a, a, a great, you know, foreshadowing to see what this RX, uh, you know, RX v, or VX poison gas that essentially makes no does. Sense that atropine, yeah, no makes sense. The antidote to something like this. It's beautiful. It, it's it's Michael Bay, bro. We're talking about fourth grade level elementary school before dropping out. <laughs> you know, it's going kaboom uh, and playing with fireworks. The thing, the thing the goes kaboom, and this stops it from going kaboom. That's it. That's filmmaking one one, and that's called atropine. <laughs> Yeah, bro, that was a nice scene. Um, last one, I think this is the best scene in the entire movie. I'll say it straight up: the shootout with the Marines. Oh, of course! I cannot give that order. One thousand percent. Stand down, damn it! I cannot give that order. I will not give that order. The back and forward between Ed Harris and Michael Bean, the commander Kyle of Reese, the Navy baby. SEALs. What'd you say, Kyle Reese? Kyle Reese, That's baby. Right, the father of John Connor himself. That's Kyle Reese, the true father. Skynet's down there, bro. The giver of life. The father of beautiful the resistance. Done. It's the and worst thing in history. Here he is, like yeah. standing off two honorable men, men of integrity, of of you know, excellent repertoire and you know, reputations in that realm. And you see the true colors of some of the different sides, particularly of Hummel. You know, his soldiers shoot like wanting to shoot them and wanting to finish them off. You kind of see the first hints of the future mutiny that is to come in this scene as well. But the standoff, the the slow score of, you know, the last guy falling down the tunnel and Nicolas Cage staring eye to eye with the first dead person he's ever seen in his life in that movie um beautiful bro yeah i think this is it i think this is the apex the 100 percent apex of the movie which is crazy because this is really when john mason and dr goodspeed's mission together their journey together begins yeah no to you know start from that point it's crazy that this whole scene you know essentially occurred while goodspeed and connery we're just gonna call him connery right are just literally <laughs> like up in the tunnels you know away from the whole scene away from the whole action to begin with they're just chilling down there trying to stay away from everything but yeah no the tier, i mean this is yeah this is by far the greatest scene in the whole movie with kyle reese going full kyle, kyle reese on them you know without the t1000 chasing him and this is what he does bro he you know he, he 
he's a valiant soldier and he uh, ends up losing to Ed Harris. This happens 100 times out of 100, bro. We talk about Deadliest Warrior. Ed Harris kills uh, Michael Bean 100, 100 times out of zero. We're talking about OG Spike TV stuff, bro. Yeah. So I think Kyle we're Reese goes 100% like bare hands done. on Ed Harris. I agree. And if he didn't have like 15 machine guns pointed at him, he could probably climb up the walls to the second story Reese, and take Ed Harris's heart out. I agree. But it is the it is where we're at right now. And you can't think of a better executed scene than the whole shootout sequence when it actually occurring when you knew that at this time, yeah, to your point, those guys aren't soldiers anymore. They're mercenaries. Like, you know, it's straight up hired mercenaries and they're looking to get a million dollars, which also foreshadows why them getting duped out of Hummel's fucking five or ten million dollars that money that they were promised is the stupidest shit in the world but uh you also see again now that they're actually mercenaries so it was a pretty good introduction to their character uh just by seeing what who, like who they really were yeah bro and then all the marines were dead that's it and Fuck. first yeah. time movie action star nicholas cage and <laughs> last time action star sean connery saved the day what a be again like just so many things about this movie shouldn't work but beautiful um, so that's it, man. Most rewatchable scenes done with. What about this movie since 96 has aged well for you, bro? Oh, bro. We've seen this all the time with any Bruckheimer or in Bay movie. It's the live action set, you know, set pieces, right? Yeah. Everything done, you know, like actual practical effects oh, and the, being the done. Green, the green flare scene. Beautiful. Yeah, we talk about that. Everything. Exactly, yeah. The legendary shot. You always have one for one of those Bruckheimer movies, right? That's going to be that legendary shot where, yep, that's the, that's the poster for the next 10 years for like, you know, all the kids growing up right there. Um, and yeah, like all this actually practically done and us even going back to the 90s and saying, yep, no, this looks realistic. This can still happen versus looking some, C you know, watching a CGI filled movie, which after every 10 years, we're going to look at it and be like this aged horrendously yeah. unless you're Pixar. Like that is it. Yeah. Like you're the only, that's the only exception. Everything else we will look at and be like, what the fuck was this? Yeah. I mean, the rare movie like Top Gun Maverick, the Mission Impossible movies, basically if Tom Cruise or Christopher Nolan made it. <laughs> <laughs> it'll age very well, well. <laughs> everything else is going to be like what the fuck were we thinking bro why did we why did we allow this marvel piece to make 700 million dollars i'm just upset Silly. bro like well i'm still upset like why did we give marvel away from the russos like we could have had more russo like winter soldiers and we're at the cgi fuck fest of everything we'll just wait for the x-men oh my god their time is it. coming they're just their time's coming yep Boom. And that's really where I'm at with Marvel. I just yeah, think the, the X-Men are hopefully going to save them. Or the Fantastic Four will be the comic relief. Apparently, Jason Siegel signed on as the thing. Really? Breaking news here on Not Your Weekly Sports Pod. Beautiful. Um, for me, what aged the best here? Obviously, Hans Zimmer and Nikki Glennie Smith on the score. Just what a, what a 90s beautiful action score, right? Just pause for a second and listen to it. Again, man, like that and then the whole theme that plays with John Mason in those good guy mo moments. Do, 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 do. Um, I think that about this movie is one of the best things. If you've got a good score, I think you can cover a lot of blemishes about the, a movie. And a lot of this movie, having those 90s corny tropes is covered by this beautiful score. So Hans Zimmer, again, like pay that man his his dues yeah bro i mean to your point i think like one of the best concerts i think you could do which i think you could always do in europe for your birthday as well bro would uh, going to a fucking hans zimmer concert right going to a hans zimmer concert hearing like an hour of him just doing his scores live with some of the best musicians in the world uh, you know that would be a treat in and of itself and i think you'd have a good you know five six minutes dedicated to the score of the rock as well just to be able to be you know how good it pretty much aged and how good it would sound live in actual orchestra with all the, you know, percussionists with all the woodwinds, with all the fucking instruments you could think of, uh, on live cinema. So this absolutely, you know, fit that test of it. One of being one of his classics that he was still played today in live cinema. Okay. Let's, let's just pause for a second and listen to it again.
Beautiful. Do you have any half-assed internet research about this movie? Bro, the main one I could think about off the top of my head was like some of the other people that they had um, actually originally casted or wanting to cast in this movie as well. Uh, it's actually really funny. A couple of the people that they were talking about initially off the top uh, was Sean Penn, trying to get Sean Penn to actually do one of the roles in there as well. Um, the other one was that, it like a major role? It was supposed to be. A, it was supposed to be like a, not. I was thinking like uh, they said there was this was supposed to be at the as big as the character of Womack or be something close and resemble that from that, from that standpoint. Um, similar to the, for, for like the MI6 standpoint. So pretty much like a male Judy Dench, um, maybe, you know, that's pretty much what you would have. Sexist, okay. very sexist, of course, which is horrible, um, which goes to the Bechdel test. But no, that was the only other thing I could think that think of at this time from, uh, from that standpoint, bro. Um, apparently they're uncredited, but they were writers for the script at various points. Uh, the script was passed around to Quentin Tarantino. That's wild. And Aaron Sorkin. I think Aaron Sorkin's fingerprints are all over some of the scenes. Like the, all the Pentagon scenes, the back and forward, the camera cuts to people looking at each other in the room, the nature of the dialogue. I, I see Aaron Sorkin and the newsroom written all over that shit. Tarantino's interesting. That is I think Tarantino's script, if I had to guess, you tell me if you think differently... Uh, is like more of the mutiny, right? Like the interaction between the soldiers, more of like the Alcatraz angle from the soldier side. Yeah. I think that's where Tarantino's writing is cre- uncredited. I think so, bro. I didn't even think about it. Yeah, I, I, if, I would say from, if it was from there, Tarantino probably had all the, the... The rated R versions were the parts that actually made you feel something. I would think if any had any substance emotionally, I think that was probably done by Tarantino if I had to think of. Because yeah. that's something that Bay's always lacked on. But anything like... Because you got, I mean, yeah, there's nothing corny I could say about the movie the whole time. I know for a fact debated the whole thing. We would think that there's certain parts that are corny, like Shia LaBeouf. But yeah, none of these guys came off as corny or extra. Yeah, the cast is what makes it work, bro. It's just a beautiful, beautiful ensemble. Um, Apparently, Michael Bay pitched a sequel to the studio where the government chases after John Mason after they find out he escaped. I don't know. I couldn't find any information on whether or not Connery would have done it. Uh, but the studio shot down the sequel idea. Either do it way. with Craig instead, bro. What's up? Do a new one with Craig instead. With Daniel Craig? Yeah, do a new one with Daniel Craig instead. Hey, Jeff Bezos, or, or, if you want to come uh, off, bro, go for it. Well, hey, let's get into that category right now then. Would you rather this be a sequel, prequel, or all-black cast movie? A sequel. Give me a sequel, like continuation with Daniel Craig as John Mason, and you know, throw in somebody else that you like, a, like a big-name actor to, be, uh, you know, to, to end up playing the role of Stanley Goodspeed if you really wanted to. You know, give me like you know Chris Evans as uh, as uh, Stanley Goodspeed. Yeah, I I could see him more. He's still like pretty young though. I could see him playing a prequel role to Connery. Oh God, what a fucking that's breaking the fifth wall if I've ever seen it. If What's we're up? trying to do the Bond theory. Oh God, yeah, that would be you, great. You cast Daniel Craig in Done. that capacity, yeah. beautiful. But no, uh, you know, well, that's Jerry Bruckheimer and say what? What are you talking about? Daniel Craig's just a phenomenal. Uh, Phenomenal actor that he's never played an action role before that we could think of. So, you told me something about the Bechdel test a second ago. You referenced it very lightly. Tell me why and tell me if this movie passes the Bechdel test. What is the Bechdel test? So, the Bechdel test is going to be, what, two women talking to each other. That's something that doesn't entail uh, a man or something about a man. And in that case, that's the case. I would say that this thing that definitely did not pass the Bechdel test at all. No, there's only I feel like there's only like two chicks cast in the entire movie. Yeah, which is Sean Connery's daughter, for no, like and, and her friend. Her friend was in there very briefly. But for like her friend five is seconds. unnamed, and they don't speak to each other. And then uh, Nicholas Cage's fiance. Yep, that's it, right? Yep. I don't. I don't think I remember seeing a single other person. The fiance was there to just talk about good speed the whole single time, and the daughter was talking about Mason. Every single time. Or yep. his mother. Or her, yeah. Yeah. That's right. And she wasn't talking to another woman. Mm-mm. So, yeah, this fails the Bechdel test. Sorry. Any Michael Bay movie, I think you'll know, fail the Bechdel test. Transformers? Did Megan oh. Fox ever talk to a no. woman about yeah, she, anything other than Shia LaBeouf's penis? No, I think that was it. So, if talking to a make-believe CGI like truck about Shia LaBeouf and how he bends, I mean, I, think I don't know if that counts as well. What a beautiful time in cinema. It is, bro. I wish we could still get away with stuff like that. I know, right? Um, let's see. The Baba Test. This was a tough one for the Baba Test, bro. Talk to me. Because, you know, Baba appreciates luxury and the finer things in life. Of course. So if a movie 
lasts more than 15 minutes with my dad watching it, it has passed the Baba test because he loses interest very quickly. 70-year-old Iranian man, you know, doctor. OG. His interest is only in the finer things in life. And in this movie, Sean Connery doesn't appear until 25 minutes in. Ed Harris is what allows this movie to pass the Baba test. He sees a serious actor like Ed Harris in a military uniform fucking running the show. He'll spank you if you if you go bad, bro. Oh, he will, you'll do more than spank you. Oh, man. You. He's going to spank you with a canister of, you know, sarin gas. It's beautiful. Wow. I think it does. This passed the Baba test somehow, some way. It was one of the few that persevered. Wow. Let's go on here, bro. I want to talk about a surprise pick for you. I'm really interested to see who you pick for your sixth man. I think I know now that we've discussed a little bit. But give me your six-man role in this movie. Oh, it has to be Michael Bean, bro. Who else? Is, who else put Michael Bean? That's it. Like, yeah, that's, that's the only pick. That's the only pick. It's a throwback to '90s cinema. A guy who's you know really good in these serious roles. Even with you know even as Kyle Reese, him doing continuation with that and actually playing alongside Ed Harris. This was, uh, you know, what a way to go out. Twenty minutes. I think he probably spent maybe the entire movie, if that. But the scenes that he, he was in just left su- such an impact to where you were towards the end as well. And established humble in the in the making of it. So, no, dude, Kyle Reese, Michael Bean, you know, straight up, bro. This is your era. In this movie, just, you know, playing the respectful leader of that team, every interaction he has with every character is straightforward and to the point. There's no gray area in the communication. And the way he goes down, you know, being basically... A, dichotomy to ed harris's character both in physical relation to each other and in their principles at the time i wonder sometimes bro why didn't michael bean become more right you think about the run he had like kyle reese in the terminator go to playing as one of the marines in the great james cameron aliens movie right playing the bad guy in james cameron's the abyss yep huge budget piece of the 80s um, playing in here, you know, a small role, none, but a huge piece in production, nonetheless. Michael Bean, bro, how is he not like the greatest superstar of the '90s? He's always had to play with an Arnold. He's always had to play with, you know. I I think he just he's, he's always had like he's on uh, the opposite side. Yeah, of who took more steroids? That's it, bro. That's it. Michael Bean decided not to take the steroids. He took the hair implants instead. The Navy SEALs. He was, you know, Johnny Ringo and Tombstone. Like all these second... I think he played so many second guy roles yeah. that no one could see him as anything other than that. Yeah. He's the greatest second guy. He, he's Pippin, bro. He, he's pretty much Pippin for the, of the 90s at this whole time. Yeah. That's so sad. I loved him, bro. I know, man. I know. Me too. That's how you know you're a 90s kid, bro. If you have, if you have affinity for Michael Bean. Loved him in uh, Planet terror playing sheriff Haig. oh fuck that's true he was great in that yeah. little tarantino piece as well that's crazy bro he's worked with cameron bay tarantino like in the 90s that's a fucking that's a nice trifecta right there of actors you work with trifecta indeed um let's see here let's talk about casting couch man Ooh. the only thing i there's a few things but one of the main ones as far as people who passed arnold schwarzenegger passed on playing john mason's role Bro, that would ha- why they initially had offered it to him. I don't know wow, why. Wow, why would he do that? That would no be like idea. a cash grab. The Austrian spy. Yeah, that'd be fucking fun, dude. Yeah, I don't know if you could keep him in chains though. Yeah, you have to have like the Hannibal Lecter suit on him to keep him contained. Well, if you can throw a, an Arnold in it, can you throw a Stallone in it? Who would Stallone? Would Stallone be? Stallone the be Mason. Yeah, he'd be Mason. Stallone is Mason. Stallone is Mason. Stallone is Mason, bro. He's a Mar- He's Rambo. <laughs> it's a sixty-year-old Rambo. Wow. Yeah, he, he's doing some things, too, if you cut his hair wrong. Oh, like, you're done. Especially Stallone's Italian ass. Done. Damn, I mean, let's see if we can just throw every major action You throw every 90... Everybody Tom, from the Expendals. Tom Cruise? <laughs> yeah. 60-year-old Tom Cruise? No. Mason? If that, no, no. He has to be... Uh, Stanley, uh, Stanley Gatsby. He, he can only be shown as 30 or younger. I, he would be a good Stanley. Like a he kind of be. a... Um, what was the movie he played with Dustin Hoffman? Rayman. Like a Rayman yeah, version of it. That'd be great. Or Dustin Hoffman, uh, him playing Dustin Hoffman's role. Yeah, <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> that'd be great. I'd, I'd watch. I'd, I'd watch that. That'd be great, actually. I'm trying to see if there's anyone who could play the antihero, the Ed Harris role, better than what. Eric no, you'd Ed have Harris to do it at Ed Harris, or just like fuck off. Yeah. Oh God, if you want a British version of that, Michael Caine. 
<laughs> Tell Nolan to hey, bring uh, bring Michael Caine in, get him roided up, and just make him like piss off everybody you can think of. I don't think I've ever seen Michael Caine like mad and disappointed <laughs> for longer than a five second stretch. <laughs> this would ruin all impressions of him oh, that man. I had. A British version of him, bro. Take him. So if we're trying to put all these people in it, let's go back to one of our classic categories, bro. Can we put a rock in this movie? Can oh, we find a spot for Dwayne the Rock Johnson? Oh, bro, he's any of those mercenaries. He's the, he's the mercenary that pisses off Ed, uh, Ed Harris, bro. That's all he is. Which one? Which? How about our fucking money, General? Oh yeah, Come the Candyman. Yes, man. The Rock is Candyman. The Rock is Candyman. The, the Rock you're is Tuco me, too. You're telling me the Rock is the Rocket Man. He's the Rocket because Man because Candyman. That'd be perfect. Remember that scene? The Rock is the Rocket oh, Man. Oh my Thank god, gosh. we just did it, bro. Done. We just did it. The rock Nicholas Cage looking at the rock with the missile launched at him and says, because you're the rocket man. Done. Boom. And then as the rock is like exiting the atmosphere on the missile, he gives the people's elbow <laughs> to the missile, turns back around and starts flying oh my back God. towards Alcatraz. That's it, bro. And rock bottoms Nicholas Cage. I think and that's the movie. The and this is the alternate ending of the movie we never got. Yeah, this one would have been uh, probably like a box office breaker if we saw this instead, bro. Wow. And Stone Cold uh, Steve Austin comes in to save the day. Oh, you just... Done. Wow. You're, the missiles are in the fucking sky headed towards San Francisco. Stone Cold breaks two beers and throws them up. To Beautiful. Done. That's the 90s, the bro. The beer like, disintegrates the, ch- the tracking chip of the missiles as well. We just did it. You broke in the 90s. We, we did The Rock remastered, Redux. Done. They've done Apocalypse in several different versions. Yeah. No, we got and now we've done 96 as The Rock. Done. Well done, bro. Beautiful. We always find a way to make this I know, work. man. This is awesome. I think the fact that the Academy should recognize this since Bill Smith got kicked out. I'm going to I'm gonna have you lead this one off, bro. Who dies first if this is a horror movie? Oh, man. If this is a horror movie, who dies first? Oh, it had to be freaking... It had to be Nicolas Cage's wife. Are you kidding me, bro? Nicolas Cage's wife? Nicolas Cage's wife, I think. Who's his wife? Or his fiance. sorry. My apology. His fiance in the entire oh, movie. Why do you say that? Bro, I say that because the whole time that we see her... She is just like a screaming galore or she's very not that soft, like spoken in, 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 in the way that she's doing it. I love the scene that she had with uh, with the FBI guy trying to find it. And it's like, OK, if that guy's a zombie lady, you're fucked at the end of the yeah, day. She really throws herself in the situation. She really does that. And like having a baby inside of you, Done. those are two prime things to get you eaten. I agree. That's zombies. Number one, like, you know, snack right there. I don't know why, but I had the the FBI guy. The, Womack? The one, no, not Womack, but uh, William Forsyth, the guy who plays Paxton. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? He's yeah. the one with the stash who, yeah. like, at the end is like, what happened to Mason? And he tells him, oh, he's incinerated out to sea. But that FBI guy, I don't know what it is about him, just the sleazy kind of scumbag. Yeah. That guy always feels like it's eaten pretty good in zombie movies. It's always great. Or yeah. David Morse, you know, the right hand man, the guy who you're like, okay, that's a resourceful dude. He's got experience. He's going to he's gonna be good for the group. And then he gets eaten right off the bat. Interesting. That's how, you know, there's not like, I remember like a lot of 90s movies. Like I remember if you uh, if you remember Deep Blue Sea where Samuel L. Jackson just gets like eaten out of the blue yeah. as well. It's like, yeah, you got to do that. You know, you, you see a character that you think could, you know, finish off and get to the end of the things and he just gets fucking killed right off the bat. Yeah, that, that's a great one. The Samuel L. Jackson reference. Um, if that's the case, man, shit, Nicolas Cage, the only guy who has the mind to put these missiles down just gets eaten right off the bat first scene they're trying to like fix the doll and the doll eats him oh dude i would pay so much money to watch a scene of nicholas cage getting eaten by like a plastic fucking shark like that would be a face-off combined with like every other like you know crazy nicholas cage sequence you could think of we'll, we'll start the petition uh nicholas cage to star in the next chucky movie done right? oh my gosh if he doesn't get if he if he's if he does not get one nomination the Academy fucked us. The Academy fucked us of some more great lines from this movie. Quotes, bro. We talked about this before. Hey, dude, you just fucked up your Ferrari. It's not, it's not mine. mine. Neither is this. Um, Sean Connery telling Nicolas Cage, losers always whine about their best. Winners go home and, and fuck, fuck the, the prom, prom queen. queen. Yes. Beautiful, bro. Oh and, and you know what? How about every line Sean Connery says is the best quote of this movie? Just hearing his voice, his... 
elegance, him carrying the screen anytime he's there. He's the win of this movie for me. Him talking down Ed Harris, bro. Like, you know, personally, I think you're a fucking dumbass uh, general, sir. Yeah. Like, what other, like, lines can you, like, every time this guy, like, said anything, it's like, all right, you took him seriously just because of the Irish accent, and we know that he can, he can snap your finger as James Bond and then fuck the prom queen. Yeah. So, yeah, this is pretty much Sean Connery being John, James Bond, like a six-year-old version of James Bond. Dubs on all accounts. Do you have any quotes, man? Bro, those were the, uh, other than the, uh, that one, uh, the only thing, I, the only other one I could think of was, um, shit, which one was it? Oh, man. Uh, You're a chemical it. freak. No, chemical I'm a chemical freak super freak. freak. That was a good one. <laughs> that was a good one. Oh, bro, how in the how in Zeus's butthole is also up there? Oh, oh my gosh! The fact that the that's the alternative curse word that uh, Nicolas Cage came up with to say in a freaking movie. A one. This is Nicolas Cage at his best, just ad libbing the craziest shit you could think of. I love it, man. What's the last category here? And we're gonna close the episode out. What prop from the movie would you want to own? Oh my gosh! Give me that Ferrari. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Oh my god! It's not a bad one. Or actually, in Houston, you probably would need the Hummer to be able to avoid Houston floods and whatnot. The floods, the you know lifted F two fifties with truck nuts that are trying to hundred percent run you off the freeway. You need a Hummer. Um, the Hummer would do well for you. I agree. Yeah, I would take the uh, the big needle stick with atropine in it. Just if I working in the nursing world, if I had a patient acting up and I had like a you know basically a two foot long needle that i could threaten them with or use as leverage for my safety if someone was getting violent i think that's a good weapon to have in my field i think you can go to the geriatric branch and just have like a, one of that full of viagra and just go to like every old man and say like i got the weapon of life for you just fucking enjoy this the shit. water of shalhulud done you right? the, yeah that's it bro that's get the, it for you. like they said in dune bro the Beautiful. spice must flow <laughs> Let it flow to the geriatric floor, bro. That's let what you it, need. Let it flow. Done. Let it flow, brother. <laughs> and on that note, we let all the knowledge on one of the greatest 90s movies ever flow in The Rock. Welcome to The Rock. Boom. And so we tell you now, goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.